take taxes, contributions from people, invest them collectively. Don't let some broker rip you off and you get a crappy retirement. And then this other person who's invested the same amount of money has a great retirement because they dealt with somebody who was honest on Wall Street. No. a regular gym routine. When was the last time you checked on your financial fitness? If you're feeling like you're falling behind, Ed Sedell is here to help with The Retirement Trainer, a podcast about helping you get into better financial shape. Every week, Ed talks about things you need to know to become more financially fit for your future. Learn about things like how much money will you need, financial mistakes other people often make, and how you can avoid them. Plus, details on The Retirement Fitness Plan, a plan Ed personally created to help you get to and through retirement by focusing on five key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan when you visit egsifinancial.com and click on processes. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to The Retirement Trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Ed, hey, hi. Hey, Larry. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for joining us this early on a Monday, Friday morning. No problem. (laughs) You know, I really wanted to talk about your book. I read your book. Obviously, you're an expert in Social Security. And I think this is information that most people just don't even know about. The clawback. I mean, everyone knows that Social Security is in trouble. But the things that you talk about and you share in this book, I think it's something everyone should should read. At the very least, watch your interview on, on 60 Minutes. We kind of discovered this stuff uh, through time, and now it's starting to get known how abusive the agency is without, you know, being partisan. You could just see yeah. this is bureaucratic incompetence and nastiness and abuse. At the highest levels. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're talking about dysfunctional in your book, but it's abusiveness. It spans the spectrum of, you know, from those that are, you know, disabled to, I mean, I cannot believe that they can claw back without any kind of statute of limitations. Honestly, we deal a lot with Social Security. You know, when we do our plans, we don't, you know, really count Social Security. And, And most people don't understand it. But I'll tell you what, the clawback, that's the first I'd ever heard of it. So, you're an expert. So if you don't mind, just kind of give a little bit of your background for everyone, just so that they kind of have an idea as to who you are, where you sure. teach, those kind of things. The background is that I uh, became an economist, went to grad school, and have been working at this area for a long time. I'm not a baby anymore. <laughs> the interest uh, in economics kind of stemmed from just being able to connect uh something concrete with the ability to help people. So economics really can model all kinds of things from climate change, carbon policy, to optimal taxation, to um, congestion pricing. You know, New York City is adopting different tolls for being in the city, center city, starting this year to reduce congestion. So it's got so many applications. It's so powerful if it's done right. It can really help society, can help people, and also personal finance. I got into working in that area 
and developed uh, 30 years ago now a uh, software company that makes economics-based financial planning tools to help people with uh, like social security decisions and retirement decisions. So everybody has their own kind of pet cause to try and help others, right? You know, most people who aren't jerks are interested in some kind of charitable endeavor, right? right? So I was able to combine my profession with doing something kind of charitable to say, develop a software tool that we think is much better than what's out there that are people that, that are being used and work for free for your company for 30 years, which has been the case. I've never taken a penny from developing the, these tools and don't take any venture capital because those folks are going to try and kind of screw up the, the software to do something quick and dirty that I don't think would be appropriate because you have to sweat the details when it comes to personal finance. Anyway, so all this got me into learning a lot about Social Security because for developing the tools, I had to become an expert in every single kind of provision of Social Security. And then I started learning about the horror stories. And I think this is what kind of led you to want to have me on the podcast today, which is to discuss my new book, um, Social Security Horror Stories. This is with Terry Savage. She's a well-known personal finance journalist. And you can see this claw coming out of the middle of the page. It's called Social Security Horror Stories, Protect Yourself from the System and Avoid Clawbacks. It's available at Amazon. If you just look for Social Security Horror Stories in my last name, Kotlikoff or Savage, you'll come to it. It's it's a self-published book, so you can only get it at Amazon. All right. Let's talk about your book because the horror stories doesn't even begin to describe the stories that you lay out in your book uh, as it relates to the clawback. So describe what a, the clawback is. First, and then, you know, share a couple stories with us because I was shocked. Like I said, I, you know, I've been doing this going on 30 years myself and I'd never heard of this before. And honestly, it was appalling. It, I mean, an absolute abuse of power, I think. So what is a clawback? Yeah. So a clawback is where Social Security claims without any proof whatsoever that um, maybe for the last 10 years they've been overpaying you and you now owe them $67,000. I've seen clawbacks for as low as $175 and as high as $304,000. So the system is complicated. And in order for them to get your benefits right, they need to get information they don't have. For example, if you've worked in Chicago as a school teacher for mm-hmm. your entire career, and then maybe or maybe half your career, and then you worked in so in the private sector and started paying into Social Security because school systems, local governments do not have to participate in Social Security. Anyway, unless Social Security knows how much your pension is from your Chicago teacher teaching job, they will not get your pension right, your your Social Security benefit right, and therefore they can overpay you for year after year after year until they figure out somehow indirectly it might be that your spouse comes in and they start asking oblique questions and your spouse reveals that you're getting this pension and you think you've been getting the right number. You might even have gone in and told them about the pension and they didn't process the information. So the whole system is screwed up fundamentally the way it's being run. They've got 60,000 employees. The software appears to be making humongous mistakes in Mm -hmm. sending out benefit reports that are 
obviously wrong. It takes it takes me to kind of look at these benefit reports that people send to me, and then I contact Social Security people that I know, and it takes them six weeks to get their their benefit calculators fixed up. I don't know why they're being they're sending out. We discussed this in the book. These uh, mistaken statements that they put online or that they send physically. So it, it almost right. seems like the th- things are being hacked. So you have, let, let me just give you a couple stories here. So, and this was featured on 60 Minutes. Terry Savage and I were on 60 Minutes. So if you Google our names uh, and 60 Minutes mm-hmm. and you look at the November 5th episode of 60 Minutes, it's the second segment with Anderson Cooper. And there was one kid on that uh, show. He's 32. He's got cerebral palsy when he was 11. He was collecting what's called supplemental security income, basically welfare benefits for disabled children. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he, after he had had three operations, Social Security must have sent over some kind of a medical person who decided, hey, you no longer have cerebral palsy. Of course, it's not curable, but they right. decided he doesn't he doesn't qualify for this benefit anymore. So they sent him a, his mom. And notice that uh, the benefit's going to be cut. She objects or she appeals. And then for the next, until it gets adjudicated that, you know, he cannot get these benefits any longer, he's getting paid like 5000 bucks over this period. Not he, but his mom's getting the money. Okay. Right. He knows nothing about it. He's, eight, he's a minor. He's 11. Yeah. So now he's at 32. All of a sudden, out of the blue, into the mailbox comes this claw. You know, here's the claw, right? That's why we put the claw in the in the picture of the book. And it says you owe us the 5,000 bucks. Now, he knew nothing about it. His mom has passed away. He still has cerebral palsy. He's making barely minimum wage. He objected, you know, and uh, he also contacted me because I've been writing about this in uh, my Substack uh, newsletter. If you just... Google Lakoff and Substack, you'll come to my newsletter. You can get a subscription for free, and uh, we have podcasts and, and newsletters. He objects. He goes and uh, asks them what's going on. Takes him two years to find out what, where this is coming from. What's going on? He knows nothing about it. Nothing about supplemental security income benefits. He finally meets somebody at one of the Social Security offices who says what I just said. And then he said, well, where's the proof? Where's the evidence that somebody came and actually adjudicated me not to be disabled after I had my three operations so I could walk? And they said, well, we don't have any proof. Uh, you have to just depend on our our saying that this happened. That's one case. I, another case, a lady becomes disabled and uh, then writes a children's book, and it becomes a bestseller. First book she ever wrote, quite surprising. She So she starts getting some royalty income. Mm-hmm. And you can have a bestseller without getting that much money. You know, I've a, I'm a bestselling right. author, and I've never gotten rich off of that book because I had three co-authors, and there's an agent, and the, the royalty rate's low to begin with. The publisher takes all the money. She got enough money such that if she if it was earned income, she could not collect her disability. So every year for ten years, she calls Social Security. Hey, I'm getting this royalty income, and can I still be collecting this disability benefit? And they say, well, it's royalty income, it's not earned income, so therefore, yes. And then they decide, after like 15 years, that she owes $304,000. Why? Because 
they've decided that the royalty income is actually earned income because she went to some libraries and gave some talks about the book. And it's a children's book. So you can imagine that they paid her like a 1099 to compensate her for the for the gas, right? Right. Now, all of a sudden, they decide the 10 years of disability benefits, those benefits are actually uh, not payable because she was getting too much earned income before they said it was royalty income. So, okay, so she appeals it. It goes to, after a couple of years, to administrative law judge being paid by Social Security, who then, and I read his uh, his judgment, he says, well, you know, it has, two things have to be true for me to waive this. One is, it has to be our fault. It was our fault. We did tell you it was uh, a royalty income, not earned income. Secondly, you have to be poor. And uh, I've looked at all your financial records. She had to send in every single statement about everything she was spending money on for years. And I've looked at your cable plan that you told that you related that you sent to us. It has a lot of channels. Therefore, you cannot be poor. Therefore, you have to pay us three hundred four thousand. I read this in black and white. You know, because I of the cable, my children's lives that this was the case. Okay, that's Here's unbelievable. Sure. It's, you know, the, and it goes on and on. I mean, it's not, you know, people have their their earnings history screwed up. So they're clawing back children based on what their parents did or didn't get. No due process. This is not, again, about going after Social Security per se. Both Terry and I think Social Security is vital. I think a, a modern version of Social Security is vital yeah. because people aren't saving enough. We need uh, they're not buying enough life insurance. There's all kinds of insurance protections that Social Security provides. Uh, and this is under Democratic and Republican administrations. The people running the uh, the show have just not given a damn. And the people, there's 10,000 claims administrators who get to decide whether or not to destroy your life. Maybe you could, you're 83 and you just had triple bypass surgery and you've gotten an $80,000 bill and you can't, you know, you're living just off Social Security. You right. owe us money or we're going to stop your check in three weeks, four weeks. And that's exactly what's happening to two million people. Two million people are getting clawed back. And then so the book's about those clawbacks. One terrible story after the next half the book. The other book half is about the scams the system is running. Because it's really only one way, isn't it? You know, they want their money back. But when. They give you misdirection and and you misfile. You know you don't get any of the money back that's actually due and owed to you, right? So I mean it's really just a one way street, isn't it? Well, that's the other thing. Social Security can be underpaying you. Uh, so my company's software, we have a tool called uh, Maximize My Social Security, can be used by people to see if they're getting the right benefit. So that's mm-hmm. very one of the things we say in the book. But yeah, they can be un- underpaying people without people knowing. I mean, they can be underpaying you just because you haven't filed for a benefit that you didn't know you were eligible for. So our software said, you know, figures out everything you're eligible for and then says, go get these benefits. So I have a friend, for example, I talk about in the book, 94 years old. She's a working psychologist. She was married three times. The first husband was a very high-earning husband, and he died you know, a long time ago. And she had no idea that she could collect benefits from a deceased ex-husband to whom she was married like 25 years. And so she's probably given up a million dollars of benefits. Nobody from Social Security ever told her, hey, you can collect this money. 
So she's gone 30 years. Uh, she's now 94. From age 61, she should have been collecting these benefits. And now we're going to go file for her benefits. She's going to get six months retroactive divorce spousal benefits, and that's it, widow's benefits, and that's it. They're screwing, uh, sorry for using that word, but that's the no, right No, 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 you're fine. Uh, widow's benefits, uh, the widows, we got the guy um, and a whistleblower at uh, Social Security uh, down in Philadelphia named John Adams. Uh, we uh, blew the whistle on the what we call the widow's benefits scam, where they get widows to sign up for both their widow's benefit and retirement benefit at the same time. And as a consequence, they have really stolen from 13,000 plus widows what the Inspector General of Social Security has now decided is over $130 million. So it's not like, you know, we are making stuff up that Social Security itself isn't admitting. Their Inspector General says, hey, you've back in 2018 in a, in a official report, you have worked over these people. You've, you've stolen $130 million from 13,000 people. Go fix that. And they've done nothing. I think that's the most fascinating thing, you know, uh, about the book. It's not just, you know, anecdotal stories. They're based on fact. You actually have copies of the letters in the book. And then, you, you know, you have the inspector general report as well. We've always said this, and and I, I like the fact that you actually made this comment and, and actually, you know, put it uh, a, a big portion of the book calling uh, Social Security a Ponzi scheme. Why do you say or why do you call it a Ponzi scheme? Because it's very eloquent the way that you lay it out in the book. Well, thanks. Well, so I thought about all these scams and all the scams really relate to misinformation, misleading mm -hmm. people. And if you ask about where's all that coming from, and again, I'm not coming at this as a Republican or a Democrat, somebody who is a far left Democrat, staunch Democrat, who thinks Social Security is the best thing since sliced bread. I think it's the best thing since sliced bread if it were running right. Okay. Right. And some other libertarians on the far right might think we don't need it. And, you know, relative to what the way it's working, they might actually be right. It might be better for people for it not to exist given the way how badly it's it's being operated. But but if you ask how is it that the culture of Social Security was to deceive people? And we talk about 10 different scams in the book. But the first scam we talk about is the way it's been financed. The fact that the system and Congress has been, and both administrations have been pretending from the beginning, back 88 years ago, that mm -hmm. this thing had a trust fund and this thing was fully funded and that you had your account and that your this money was your money and it was there for you and it was safe. But the reality is that the trust fund is just, just basically a social security bank account money comes in, the money goes out. And then from the beginning, they took money from young people and gave it to old people. And they said, don't worry, when you're old, you'll be able to go to the next generation, your kids, and then expropriate them, take money from them and give it to yourself. And then they'll be able to expropriate their kids. That's a Ponzi scheme. That's a chain letter. That's just economics 101 when it comes to right. what Charles Ponzi actually did. Now, why is the term expropriation appropriate here? Well, when I take money from somebody and I say, don't worry, you'll be able to take it from your kids. Well, that's true if your kids have enough earnings, if there are enough of those kids around to pay you, if that goes on forever. But when you know 
that you've had a baby bust and you know the economy's productivity growth has dropped dramatically compared to where it was before you know the 18 late 1800s early 1900s and even you know early 50 the 50s and the economy has slowed down you know we were a mature economy we're not growing where labor earnings are growing at 2% real a year they're growing 1% if we're lucky per person so the money is just not there that's why social security trustees report that was issued in march of march 31st of last year if you go to table 6F1, it's buried way in the back of the trustees report in the appendix. There's a table with cryptic language, but it shows a number 65.9 trillion. That's the unfunded liability of Social Security. That's the debt. They use words to keep it off the books. That's the off the books liability. And it's and that's yeah. not included in the 34 trillion national debt that we have. That's just a, a separate yep, off-balance sheet. Twice as book, off-balance sheet. We have much more off-balance sheet debt yes. Congress has been running. So our fiscal situation is far worse than anybody understands, even in Social Security, because Social Security puts out two numbers. One is the what's called the infinite horizon fiscal gap in Social Security, unfunded liability. And there's also the 75-year number. The true number, which is the true long-term numbers, it's 60% of the short well, it's it's a majority of the unfunded liability goes beyond 75 years. So in other words, we have to look at how we're going to be treating. It's not like our world is going to end in 75 years that we can truncate this calculation and say, hey, we're not going to worry about our grandkids, not pretend that our grandkids are not going to be owed any benefits from this system. It doesn't make any sense. That was the question I had for you. So, you know, based on the 75 years, because really they're they're saying that in 75 years, everyone's going to die, right? And so there, there's no more benefits are going to be owed. So is that that 65 trillion, that unfunded liability, that's a misnomer, right? Because if I understand your book correctly, it's based on that 75-year premise, right? It That's well, the when- The 75-year no, numbers is 40% of the 65. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. 40% so, of that. 65, right. that's bad enough. But everybody in Congress who even, you know, when they start talking about Social Security, the serious people, and I, I put that in quotes, they'll talk about the 40% of the $65 trillion number. They'll say, well, all we have to do is look out 75 years. Well, Alan Greenspan supposedly fixed the system with the Social Security Commission in, in 1983. They looked out 75 years. Here it is. You know, How many years later are we? Uh, it's, we're basically 50 years later, mm-hmm. so 50 years into that 75-year window. So what they did is they operated on a tumor that they saw back in 1983. And they said, oh, well, this is a big tumor, but we're gonna t- operate, get rid of uh, a half of it. And uh, actually, and now that tumor is actually, in economic terms, twice as big as it was when they operated back then. And now we have presidential candidates either who wanna either leave the problem off the table, which is you know President Biden, President Trump, former President mm-hmm. Trump, say, just leave it off the table. And then we have other candidates like uh, Nikki Haley, who I respect in many ways, saying, well, we can just raise the retirement age. That is going to do so little so late, raising the retirement age for younger people that, you know, she's just not in the right ballpark. I mean, if that reduced the unfunded liability, uh, the $65.9 trillion by $10 trillion, that would be a lot. Okay. And so let me just. 
clear to, to people that when I say 65.9 trillion, uh, that's in the Social Security Trustees Report, Table 6F1, Roman 6F1, and it's all the projected benefits minus all the projected receipts minus the trust fund, which is a measly couple trillion dollars, mm-hmm. all present valued. So it's not like we're leaving out anything about the, the money coming in, okay? It's after you take into account all the money that's going to come in that we're $65.9 trillion short. So the country, and that's just Social Security. We're not talking about Medicaid, defense spending. Yep. The whole projected fiscal gap for the country shows we're completely broke. And I've been right. I, I saw that the estimated CBO report uh, for unfunded liabilities. I think that the last time it was roughly 165 trillion all in, and now it's it's pushing over 180 trillion on top of the 34 trillion that CBO, we. Even the CBO is is doing the wrong calculations because I, you know it's low. You know it's low. If they're saying it's it's 180, 100, whatever it is, you know it's it's significantly lower than what it actually is. I do have on my website, kotlikoff.net, a spreadsheet that has the latest properly calculated fiscal gap. And the absolute number depends on how you're discounting these things. And you really want to discount these things that kind of the return to what U.S. wealth can earn invested here or invested abroad. Mm-hmm. And that's about six and a half percent real in the post-war. So the absolute number is small, but the present value of GDP, when you discount at this high number is also small. So the ratio says that, you know, fundamentally we need to be raising every single stream of revenue by almost 50% from that starting today through the end of time in order to be able to pay for all the outlays that we have projected to do for Social Security, for defense, for the president's lunch, for uh, <laughs> you name it, for uh, infrastructure. So we're, we're right. basically need an enormous tax hike or enormous spending cut, or we have to do things much more efficiently, like deliver healthcare to our country in a much cheaper way. We're spending 18% of GDP when we could be spending 11% like Sweden does. And Sweden has is ranked fourth in terms of quality of healthcare, we're ranked 21st. So it's not so much that we're that things are helpless, that things are just being done so poorly, not just in Social Security, but everywhere. I mean, this, you know, I don't know if you know this, Ed, but I ran for, for president uh, as a writing candidate in 2016 in order to put out a platform for how to fix the country and talk to a lot of economists and said, let's think about every one, every, every one of our major problems and let's see if we can put it into 10 bullets how to fix things. Let's have the simplest possible plan so people don't have to read 50 pages about how to fix healthcare." because economists agree that there's 10 bullets, 10 things you have to do, and that's it, okay? Social Security, same thing, 10 things, that's it. And it's right on my uh, website, it's called You're Hired, it's not You're Fired, but it's You're Hired, that's the title of the book. And it's a free download, anybody can read it. This is what you can, so this is why I ran, not to win, because I couldn't even get my mother to vote for me, but uh, I wanted to have a platform. So there's a book, it's 100 pages, Here's how to fix education. Here's how to fix healthcare. Here's how to fix the banking system, because I've been working on all of these different issues all my life, mm-hmm. and we could fix the banking system overnight. So we didn't have Wall Street basically taking the upside and leaving us the downside when there's a financial crisis. Right? They put us at risk, 
they're risking our money. And then when things go south, they've got uh, the FDIC to uh, say, well, go to the government and they'll bail you out. When, you know, in the Great Recession, we had 17 major comp- financial institutions, including the largest insurance company, including largest insurance, mortgage insurance companies, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Commonwealth Financial, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Washington Mutual, all these companies went bankrupt and the taxpayer was left with a huge bill. We can fix that. And that's in the book. Like with Social Security, how would you fix that? I mean, increase the the uh, employer match? Here's what I would do. The system is, is 88 years old. It needs to be retired. It needs It needs to be that we pay off everything we owe to everybody who's contributed, who's currently collecting. They should get everything that every penny back that they've been promised. But we then we say, look, as of today, if we're going to reform, put in the reform today, nobody's going to get any more accrued benefits. They're going to have to keep paying FICA taxes. We're going to drop the FICA tax a bit and gradually reduce it to zero. But we're going to immediately implement a new system where everybody contributes 10% of their pay to their own, what I call personal security account. Mm-hmm. And Wall Street has no, you know, this sounds like a George W. Bush proposal. It's not because his proposal was how to enrich Wall Street. My proposal is how to keep Wall Street having not a single thing to do with the system. So we put 10% of our pay into our own account. But actually, before that happens, half goes into our spouse's account and half of our spouse's contribution goes into our account. So there's earning contribution sharing. So if we get divorced, we each each walk away with the same size account. Mm-hmm. Bingo. And then the government makes contributions for on behalf of the poor, extra contributions for the poor, the disabled, the unemployed. So we have progressivity, right? That's a part of the current system. So let's do a modern version of Social Security. Now, all the money that goes in there would be invested in the uh, global financial marketplace. It could be the entire international global financial assets, but it's done on a market-weighted basis. So you're investing, and it could also just be restricted to U.S. securities, but in that case, you'd be investing in all the 6,000 U.S. stocks in proportion to their size uh, uh, in the marketplace, Mm -hmm. and also all the bonds, government bonds, treasuries, corporate bonds, state and local bonds. So you'd be fully diversified. The government will guarantee that at retirement, your account balance would at least equal what you'd invested adjusted for inflation. So you have a zero real return. Everybody gets the same rate of return because everybody's invested in one in one mutual fund. It, this is just like, you know, pretty close to what Singapore has done for decades. But take taxes, contributions from people, invest them collectively, have it be done by a computer. Don't rip them off, let some broker lick, rip you off and you get a crappy retirement, and they charge a commission the entire way. And then this other person who's invested the same amount of money has a great retirement because they dealt with somebody who was honest on Wall Street. No, keep Wall Street out of this. Let my laptop handle the entire thing. My laptop could run the entire program. And then at retirement, your contributions that you've accumulated now, your account balance would gradually be sold off over 10 years, you and everybody in your age cohort. So if mm-hmm. I'm, you know, become, let's say 57 in a certain year, 
everybody who's my same age, all our account balances, which have been bumped up if we somehow have less than what we put in adjusted for inflation, all that money is gradually through time over five, 10 years, it's sold off, the assets are sold off and used to buy inflation index bonds for our cohort. And then starting at age 62, we start getting payments, annuities that are inflation adjusted because our the underlying securities for our, our cohort are invested in these inflation index government bonds called TIPS that exist already. And then we get inflation protected income and it's in proportion to what our account balances were when this happened. So if I have accumulated twice the amount of money because I put in twice the amount of taxes, uh, contributions, I'm going to get twice the size of a, a pension than you. But this is a way to have no burden being left to our kids. It's a fully funded system. This is Bismarck. If He was the German uh, chancellor who invented Social Security back in like an 1880 or so. And uh, then, you know, different countries uh, came up with their versions of Social Security. And it's always been pay-as-you-go finance. Let's, you know, you know, take from the young, give to the old, take from the young, give to the old. That would not happen here. That would end. So this is exactly what corporate America did when they were running in the 1980s and 70s and early 90s, running the defined benefit pensions that were going broke because they were running Ponzi schemes at IBM and all these other companies. And they said, what we're going to do is basically stop the Ponzi scheme. We're going to pay off what we owe, but then we're going to put in 401k plans. That's the right reform, a modern version of Social Security. And will younger people be hurt relative to what they've been told they would be getting from Social Security, which is a system where taxes were not going to rise by 50%? Yeah, they will be hurt relative to that fantasy world, but that fantasy world doesn't is fantasy. So relative to what actually is going to happen to them, this is much better because here they're going to get something for real. Their money will not be invested, will not be dependent on what members of Congress decide they're going to get, but rather what the market is going to provide, and they're going to have a guarantee. So this is a modern version. It's in the in the book, You're Hired, described, it's really described in 10 bullets. I mean, I, I described it in more than 10 words but 10 sentences. So so in that in that same vein, so baby boomers right now and, and those current retirees that are already receiving benefits, obviously they can't participate in that because they're receiving benefits and no longer generating income, you know, as a whole. So is is that why it's it's a gradual reduction and and why everyone is going to continue to pay that FICA to, to we have to pay off the accrued liabilities. Okay. But the accrued liabilities in present value the 65.9 trillion, most of that is projected liabilities. And in other words, uh, keeping the system going. But if you look at the accrued liability, it's much smaller. So with the, you know, when we do this reform, the personal security account system, we would eliminate the vast majority of this unfunded liability. It's, it's, uh, and then it really could be, could be, will likely be zero. And we'd be able to drop the FICA tax initially a couple of percentage points and then gradually reduce it to zero through time as we pay off what we owe under the old system. And then everybody, so now you say, well, I'm going to I'm going to feel bad because I'm going to have to pay 10% into something. I'm going to be now compelled as a 35-year-old 
to take 10% of my pay in addition to what I'm paying in FICA taxes will be lower, but not that much lower, and put it into my into this personal security account system where I'm now invested in every single stock a company in the country that's listed, 6,000 companies, in proportion to their size. So my money in Amazon will be much more than my money in some you know uh, a startup company that's listed on NASDAQ. But mm-hmm. And I'll also be invested in all the treasuries that the year are being issued and uh, and the corporate bonds and state and local bonds. But you say, well, how would a 35-year-old feel about having to save 10% of their salary every year in this manner with a guarantee, with progressivity, with contribution sharing between spouses? I think they'd feel great. I think they'd say, hey, now I've got something I can actually see. I've got something that's real about my retirement and mine. I'm able to cut back on my other saving. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least this I can count on, you know, and this actually is quite doable. And, and that's what Nikki Haley or Chris Christie or uh, Governor DeSantis, they should be advocating this. I mean, Governor DeSantis wants to leave the whole thing off the books, uh, off the table. Biden wants to do that. Uh, this is just, um, generational abuse on top of the bureaucratic abuse. I mean, we've got the bureaucrats abusing people unbelievably. I mean, this is this is funny. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, I mean, it's 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 political dynamite. No one wants to touch it because it's it's, you know, suicide. No one. Everyone wants to be an ostrich, right? They just want to put their head in the sand and, and pretend like it's it's going to resolve itself. And everyone knows that it's broken. Everyone knows that it needs to be fixed, but no one's willing to to make the tough decisions. There, I mean, there's going to be a pain point at some point in time, whether it's now or in the future. So I, I do. Can I just clarify one thing, Larry? So so the FICA, the reason we continue to pay that is to to cover that sixty five point nine trillion. That's how we're going to fund that. We'll figure out. Well, the accrued liabilities now. Because the accrued liabilities, right. Okay. Be, so the 65.9 will instantly drop because the projected benefit payments will be just what's accrued. And nobody will accrue a, a penny more of benefits under the old system. Right. That'll stop because... Because of that additional 10% that you know everyone's paying in for their own retirement. Yeah, you will have to keep paying your FICA taxes, but you won't right. get any... Your earnings record will be filled with zeros from day one of the reform. So when they come to calculate your your uh, benefits that are owed when you at 35 today when you reach uh, whatever 62 when you start t- collecting or 65 or full retirement age 67 they will calculate your benefits just like they currently you know like under the current system they won't change that but your earnings record will have zeros in there from this year up till age 67 and beyond if you keep working you'll just not get any credit for the, in terms of extra social security benefits for extra contributions, extra FICA payments. Sorry, that's that's the um, the burden of where your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have put you. And we have screwed you over, younger people. And I want the screwing over to stop. And yeah, because I, I continue to hear... You're talking about Nikki Haley, you know, kicking the can down the road and, and having later full retirement age retirements. And I've heard his late, you know, full retirement age of, you know, 75. And, you know, we're talking life expectancy of, you know, you and me of, you know, 80 years old or, or a little bit less. So, you know, I'm not sure that that makes sense. 
as much as what you're proposing. So how are you getting this out there? You know, are you can, you know, contacting the the current candidates and saying, hey, you know, here's a proposal that that works. Here's why it works. And, you know, can I talk to you about it? Is there any interest in that? You know, are they they even, you know, reaching back out to you? I I would say, you know, it's it's very disheartening. uh, You know, for example, the folks running no no labels, I've written them, I've gotten their email address. They may put forward a a third-party candidate in April. I've said, look, here's a platform. Whoever you choose, give them this platform or even choose me to run because I have run and I can expand on how to fix things. And uh, you might sound crazy, but uh, compared mm-hmm. to somebody who's been indicted for 91 criminal charges, I don't have any criminal record. I don't have anybody accusing me of any crimes. Uh, I haven't, I'm not uh, Senator Mendendez, who's uh, got, you know, <laughs> a rap sheet now that, uh, well, yes, he he's not convicted, but so, yeah, why not go for a, kind of basically a technocrat to fix it? Or, or even Biden with all the charges, you know, I mean, it's, it. this is, you know, this is beyond a Republican or Democrat thing, because it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum that you're on. I mean, there's so much mud being flung from one to the other. There's charges against everybody. You know, I, I think, you know, as an American, I think we're all sick and tired of it. We just want the problem is we're devoid of leadership. That's the problem in D.C. And I think that's what's lacking. And so all these candidates, so the answer would be it, all these candidates, none of them have contacted me. I don't know if they know who I am, but, you know, so it hasn't been that Governor DeSantis has has me had me down and said, let's uh, talk about how to fix X, Y and Z. He doesn't really want that. He just wants power. President Trump. How about Biden? Has, has Biden reached out to you and said, OK, you know, hey, let's you know, let's fix this. Biden's, uh, you know, I think his there's one terrific rational person there. That's uh, Janet Yellen. She's the Treasury Secretary. She's an economist. She actually was my former professor in my first year in grad school. And so, so she's doing a fabulous job for the country. In terms of Biden's economic policy, I think some of it's quite good. But there's so many things that he's not gone after to fix because it's been very partisan. And he's got a lot of people that he's beholden to on the left. And then he's got a lot of economic advisors that are holdovers from or descendants of the economic advisors of Obama and Clinton. So nobody wants to is talking kind of fundamental. Hey, this needs to be fixed fundamentally. This needs to be, you know, we need to have Medicare for all like Bernie Sanders wants, but we need to do the Republican version of it, not the Democratic version, not the traditional Medicare, because that spending requiring us to spend, you know, is driving us broke, according to the CBO's projections. And that's part of why we're spending 80 percent of GDP, not 11 percent like Sweden does. So, yeah, we have very partisan people on both sides that are not providing leadership. And, you know, in once lots of very critical domestic policy, I would say President Biden has been, in my view, terrific on foreign policy. And whereas I think the Republicans are at least DeSantis, not Nikki Haley, but President Trump and DeSantis are basically uh, kind of isolationists who will. Who is, so it's like 1933. Hitler has uh, arisen in Germany and they're Neville Chamberlain saying, Oh, he's okay. He won't invade Poland. He won't invade Czechoslovakia. He won't take over all of Europe, but, uh, France. And I get and they, that. And he did. Yeah. I mean, this but is like. Do you think? Oh, all right. So, 
Do you think the amount that we're spending without any accountability, you know, I'll just use Ukraine or when we pulled out of Afghanistan, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars that we left in equipment over there, you know, these were the dollars that we that we've that we've given to Ukraine, but we don't even know where it went. And it goes back to the accountability. We there's two things that have to happen. You know, the way that I see it is we we need to have accountability and checks and balances and stop spending what we don't have. Because, you know, to the point of Social Security, we're writing checks that we can't cover. And so we're, you know, we're leaving that for, you know, our, our kids, our grandkids and our great grandkids. And, you know, any continued deficit spending is nothing more than deferred taxes. So do you think that we're talking about foreign policy and it doesn't sound like it relates to everything that we're talking about as far as Social Security, but they really do go hand in hand? Because if we're spending money that we don't have and we don't even know where it's going, we don't have a series of checks and balances. Do you think that that's an issue? You know, I think the way I can appropriately kind of respond to that just would be to say, had I been President Biden pulling out of Afghanistan, would I have done it differently? How would we? How should we have done it so that we didn't leave all that equipment uh, and leave the entire society at the hands of the Taliban? I think I probably would have given rifles, you know, AK forty-seven, whatever <laughs> M1s or M3, whatever the, the our best. Uh, uh, guns are to women because they're the ones who've been the most oppressed and make it clear to the oppressive uh, males in that society that they were not going to be able to to uh, basically turn their female population back into slaves, but also have thought through this whole thing and not uh, had this thing go down as a complete disaster. Now, part of this was that we had pulled out a lot of troops. We had made deals with the Taliban under President Trump. And he was kind of st- stuck with a, a bad hand. I, I don't know for sure all the details of, of what happened and how it could have been improved upon, but I should I would have anticipated this mess and said, let's think about, let's game plan all the disasters of this exit and make sure that the worst case scenario doesn't happen, which is what happened. And that we don't leave yeah. all this up for these people. It goes back to poor leadership. Right. And, and all the way across from military all the way up to, to the White House. Right. I yeah. mean, there, there's just, it just takes it is yep. leadership, as you said. And with Ukraine, absolutely. You need to have an inspector general of what you're uh, I mean, the, th- the nice thing about about handing them a tank is that you can actually see the tank. You can probably have you probably have a tracker. We can track our suitcases now. You probably have a we probably have a way to track where that tank is. So we know that that hasn't been kind of sold off to some country in Africa in order for somebody to line their pocket. So when it comes to military equipment, we should have a tracking system, you know, electronic tracking system at at a minimum. But if that hasn't happened, and it may well not have happened because we've seen such incompetence in Social Security for decades, it's quite possible that we have blown a lot of money. But on the other hand, the big story in Ukraine is that we have Hitler in the form of Putin on our border, which is Ukraine is our border, really, because if he goes through Ukraine, he will be into Finland, he will be into Poland, he will be into Romania. We will have American young young American soldiers dying, and we will be at war, and we might be at nuclear war with Russia. What we should have been doing has been much tougher with Russia, from the I think, than Biden has been. So I, I applaud him for being aggressive to the point of 
you know, assembling a, a coalition to help Ukraine defend itself. But do I think he did an A plus, has done an A plus job? No, I think he's done a B plus job. I think he, we should have been giving the Ukrainians F-16s from the beginning and let them actually conduct a war where they had the right tools. And then is it going to be the case that they're going to be able to recover the entire Ukrainian territory or should we, will there end up being a settlement where Russia does get some territory from Eastern Ukraine and gets to hold on to Crimea? Yes, but then you would also want to say, we're going to do that, but at the same time, we're going to admit Ukraine into NATO. This mm -hmm. should be with the president's proposal right now. At In our current point in time, where we're, where things are, given everything, we should say, we're going to cut, we're going to push for a ceasefire where Russia gets to keep what it's got in Ukraine. Ukraine gets comes immediately into NATO and to the European Union. And now Ukraine has security because of Article 5 of the NATO protocol, which says that if Ukraine is further attacked, uh, Russia would be at war with the U.S. We have to make clear to Putin what Neville Chamberlain did not make clear to Hitler, which was game over, boy. This is, you well, know, there's well, a limit. Let's, let's go back to the let's go back to the funding part of it. So. So right now we're 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 sending. I, I can't I don't even know what the total figure is, but it's well over 100 billion dollars that, that we've sent. I mean, we're actually funding their government, you know, on top of all the military. We're talking about the issues, you know, as far as how dysfunctional Social Security is. Do you think it's hard for people to say our government and the leadership is competent enough to make changes in Social Security if we can't even keep track of the money that we're sending and and we're actually funding another country's government and everything else? I mean, it's a different issue, but it, it's all it's all connected. You know, for Social Security, we have a documented case for uh, how badly things have gone in Ukraine. Right. Basically, things have gone really well in the sense that they're not. Russia did not take over Ukraine. The Ukrainians, God bless them, fought back and are very brave people. And they've used the, our help and that of Europe. And Europe actually, I think this year is contributing more financially to Ukraine than the U.S. is. They've succeeded. This is a success story. So, so they have. So other nations have contributed more than the U.S. has. Right now, I think the the current. Uh, I think in the last uh, twelve months, the uh, Europeans have in more money than we have. But that's some uh, fact that I read from a credible source a couple of days ago. I can't recall exactly what, it, what it's from. Okay. But, you know, should we be keeping trap at, track? At, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. Be, it, it, it just goes to, you know, making sure that, you know, our money, you know, we, we keep paying more and more taxes, right? And so we, you're going back to the plan as far as fixing Social Security continuing to pay FICA at a, at a lesser level, but still high, and then, you know, paying an additional 10% of our own money. But if we have to keep raising taxes because we're we're continuing to spend way more than what we have, and a big part of that is because we're, we're funding all these welfare programs, right? I'm using that as a general term to include, you know, funding Ukraine and in their government, and we're not being fiscally responsible and tracking even where that money's going. You know, I think that that's going to be a hard, hard pill to swallow for yeah, but, for Americans. Yeah, I no, I agree 100%. We need to track every penny we spend in Ukraine. The military's responsibility in large part, and they may have, they've got inspectors and they should have a record and we should be 
having the head of these procurement uh, agencies who's ever making the, these transfers to Ukraine should be brought in front of Congress and say, can you tell us where the money is? What's happened to it? But and stop funding until we get some answers. You but know. the idea that, that we're in Ukraine is a welfare state of ours, that I have to jump, jump off because these people are killing, are, you know, are dying every day trying to defend us. I mean, the Ukrainians- How, how, are, they, how are they defending us? I mean, because, I, because if if they were to say, okay, we're going to hand over our country to Russia, if they had folded, and they may well fold if they don't get extra support for, uh, militarily, if they run out of ammunition, which is what you know some members of Congress apparently would like to see, uh, Russia will take over Ukraine, and then Russia will move on to the Baltics, and they'll move into Poland, and we will be a war. And this will be World War III, and this could be a nuclear war. So they are protecting us. They are, if you like, our mercenaries, if you want, uh, but they are protectors. So to say that they're, and they are dying and getting injured, uh, and they're making an enormous sacrifice, and they're killing lots and lots of Russian soldiers who are aggressing against, uh, in effect, us. So they're our front line of protection. We have to defend ourselves. And this is the cheapest uh, way for us in terms of blood and bone to protect ourselves is to let the Ukrainians defend their country with our economic and support in terms of equipment and uh, tanks and, and, and ammunition and, and other, uh, other munitions. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't think, I think that that tracking this money is important, but it's the sideshow. The big picture, just like we wouldn't want to say, Social Security is doing such a terrible sh uh, job that we need to cut off all the benefit payments to current, just shut the whole thing down and not make a, a single payment to anybody for like three years until we get it sorted out as to where what's going on. And, and then we'll set the system up. Well, I, I, I think that's... Yeah, Three that's kind of apples and I think that's an apples and oranges kind of an argument. And I'm I'm not in a, and I hear what you're saying with Ukraine. I disagree. But you know, and and I I think uh I think I'd like to have have you back on the podcast to talk about that because I think we could talk about that for at length. And then, uh, well, let me just ask you, what would you do? Yeah. Would you cut off you let's say you are in charge of all aid to Ukraine, military aid. Not just for the U.S., but also for from Western Europe, would you cut them off and say, "Sorry, guys, no extra ammunition, no F-16s, no extra tanks, no extra missile systems, protect and let them get run over"? And then where do you? No, think no. Actually, what I would do is I, I would say, "All right, um, let's figure out where every penny went. What did you do with it? Were you responsible?" And start there. Uh, and say, all right, are you getting another? Right, right. Well, and then, and then, so that's part one. All right. So the second step is go to NATO, and say, look, you know, we we've been paying the lying share of of NATO for for decades. It's time for you guys to step up now. And you you just said that you know they've paid more than we have in the last twelve months. I'll have to look into that. Um, no, but I but, let me say I agree with you one hundred percent. I I've written in just the other day that I'm a guest at the fact that the European Union is not spending 12% of GDP on defense, only they're spending less than 2%. So I agree 100% with you on that. But what I'm saying is that 
we have to fix these things, but we have to do it in the right trend. We just like we can't leave you Afghanistan the wrong way. We can't fix these things the wrong way either. We have to do it via transition where we yes. immediately start looking at what's going on and having people testify as to where the money has gone. And then, but in the meantime, we have to give them ammunition. We cannot. Yeah, you know, but it also goes back to what you're saying about Wall Street, right? I mean, you know, where is the money going? Who's being enriched by this war? And, you know, just like with what happened in Afghanistan, you know, we were talking about tracking, you know, equipment, you know, and tanks. Well, I mean, we know where everything is in Afghanistan. We left it all behind and it's our enemies that are now using it to attack us, right? And, and our allies. So in order to make sure that that's not happening in Ukraine, you know, that that same thing, you know, we, we need to figure out where the money's going. And look, I am not a military strategist by any stretch of the imagination. You want to, if, it, if it was the situation that they were about to get overrun because they're running out of ammunition and equipment, you wouldn't want that to happen. So I'm just saying we have more than we have a lot of couple, a lot of objectives here with the Ukraine. We want to achieve all of them, but we don't want to kind of lose the uh you know, sight of the big picture here, which the big picture is that Russia is the aggressor and that Russia, we will be at war with Russia unless we stop them in Ukraine. And in order to do that, they need, the Ukrainians need the missiles, they need the tanks, they need the ammunition, they need the shells, they need the F-16s, they need all that support. And we need to make sure that they're using it against the Russians, not selling it to some part, Absolutely. Somebody. Yep. Some third party, which, and I think if they, I think if, we can agree on that for sure, absolutely, because yeah. it sounds like that's almost what's happening, um, be, because it's it's not getting over there in in the money. I, I haven't heard that we have any Abrams tanks, for example, that are showed up in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those are a little those are a little uh, little harder to hide for sure, for sure. Yeah, so I, I think that that these. These missile, these huge missile defense systems, they are sitting there in, in Ukraine being used to fight the Russians. So I think if there's an issue here, it's probably small order, is my sense. But I'd like to find out. I'm with you. So I think you and I, we could run the country perfectly fine. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I I, I definitely have my opinions. Happy but, to have uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on that on that side of the equation by any stretch. Common so. sense. You know what what you're saying. And what I'm saying is that we need to have common sense people who yes. are not crazies. We have people that are very political. That I view as, as somewhat crazy. And then we have people that are really lunatics, in my view, who are trying to, you know, somebody says, I'm going to be a dictator when I take over the office, even for a day. You can do a lot of damage in one day if you sign enough things that have been prepared for you to sign. Sorry, go go live in a world with other dictators, you go to Russia and retire there. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, um, and, you know, all these executive orders, I'm not a fan of them on either side of the equation. But, you know, closing the borders, you know, making Absolutely sure that agree. that ends. Absolutely. You know, we cannot have people pouring yes. into the country. We That's need right. to defend their border. I wrote, if people go to larrykotlikoff.substack.com, you'll see... A column that my most recent newsletter says dumbstruck. That's the name of, and one of the things I said, you know, was I'm dumbstruck that this guy, President Trump, with 91 counts, criminal counts against him, is running for president, and that he can 
publicly to kick, declare he's going to be an, a dictator for as long as he wants to be. Uh, I don't think and he I'm also dumbstruck, that. But I'm also dumbstruck that uh, we have this so many, you know, we have no control of the border after so many years and so many administrations. So I am listening things. Or how about the current administration? I mean, Mayorkas. I mean, it's all they have to do is enforce the laws that they're there. And and actually, instead of, you know, continuing to build the fence, they actually sold the steel and now we're having to buy it. They sold it at a fire sale and now they're having to rebuy it at a much higher cost. So I'm not yeah, I'm not uh, defending anything that I don't know about. I don't know about this. All I know is that we have a huge problem there and it has to be fixed and has to be fixed oh. by people with common sense and humanity and not to put people in cages. So there is the right policy. And that's why when you asked at the beginning, why did I get into this kind of business? Because I think that, you know, there are solutions and that. Uh, yes, absolutely. In Social Security, I definitely like what you have to say on some of the other stuff. I think we could agree to disagree. <laughs> on, well, on, no, I don't think you're you're up for uh, uh, having your son or my son uh, uh, in a year uh, fight the Russians in Poland. I don't think that's not under the current leadership. I would definitely agree with you there for. So, Larry, yeah. look, I, I know we are short on time. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really want to have you back on because I'm telling you, this has been a great discussion and I'd like to further it. I really would because okay. it's it's, uh, it's been great. And again, so how how can people uh, find you again? Okay, so kotlikoff.net, just my last name.net, K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F is my main website. There's links there to all my books, to my company's software, uh, which is really terrific for your own personal financial planning and your social security calculations and decisions, making sure that you're not going to not getting overpaid or underpaid. You're getting the right amount. And uh, then there's uh, LarryKotlikoff.substack.com. People can sign up for my newsletter and podcast. And uh, we have all kinds of really fantastic people coming on the podcast to talk about all, all manner of issues. You know, whether it's poetry. Or, um, you know, what's going on in the UK and with Brexit. Uh, it's just really fascinating. Uh, the people have gotten to come along. I, yesterday, I was talking to the finance minister from Chile about Argentina and Chile and what's happening in Latin America. I have, because I'm old and had have had enough experience, know lots of people in the real world who, who can talk about their areas of the world and their areas of expertise and so this is a very different podcast than anything that's out there. So LarryKotlikoff.substack.com and uh, Kotlikoff.net. You can learn all about everything that I have to offer here. So anyway, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to have you back on. All right. Take care. Happy to come back. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>your fitness level, not your workout routine. I'm talking about your financial endurance, because if saving to a 401k is the extent of your effort, it is time for you to start shaping up. And Ed Sedell is here to help you do that with the retirement trainer. It's his podcast to help you examine your financial stamina and learn the questions you should be asking and areas to focus on to help you get to that place you've been working so hard for a happy, comfortable retirement. And it's not as hard as some might have made you believe. Ed's broken it down into five 
five simple steps. It's the retirement fitness plan, which he personally created to help clarify key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan at egsifinancial.com. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to the retirement trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Investment advisory services offered through EGSI Investment Management, DBA EGSI Financial Group, a registered investment advisor. Insurance and annuities offered through EGSI Financial Services, Inc., Ohio license number 1020619. 